0: .NET Rocks episode 623 with guest Sean Walker, recorded live Tuesday, December 21st, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis, and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carl and Richard.
1: Thank you very much. Welcome to DotNet Rocks. It's Carl. It's Richard. It's y goodness.
0: I like it. Yeah. It's chewy and doesn't stick to your teeth.
1: So, Sean Walker will be with us in just a minute, and before we uh, have him on, I just want to mention to the listeners that Sean said that he likes to listen to .NET Rocks when he works out, so like when he's on the treadmill, and you know, I didn't really think about that, but uh, this, so this is for all of you people who are exercising right now.
0: Work it, work it, work it, work it, go, 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 (laughs) go! All
1: right, I feel better now. You feel better? Do you feel better? Yeah. All right, we want to motivate you, you know, so that's what it's all about. God knows, you know, we need it, so... Uh, let's just jump into better no framework. Awesome. All right, what do you got? I got a good one. I got a good one in system.windows.interop in the presentation core DLL. Oh. It's uh imaging.create source from memory section. Huh. source from memory
0: section so this is taking a chunk of memory that has an image in it and mapping it as a bitmap
1: you got it wow i'm so smart isn't that pretty cool yeah yeah
0: well so the question is how did you get that in the memory in the first place if it wasn't already a bitmap
1: well usually it's because of some other um uh, dsp or or some kind of other process or program that's putting that not process but another dll that you have to interoperate with that is doing Graphics manipulation, image manipulation. Okay. And now you want to show that on your WPF form. How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. How so gotta interact?
0: In pa- what are you passing in to get this m- block of memories? It can't be a pointer. Yes,
1: it's a pointer.
0: It is a pointer.
1: Yes, you pass an int pointer. No kidding. You pass a width and height as pixel, uh, pixel height and pixel width as integers, a pixel format, a stride. And an offset, don't ask me what the stride of a bitmap is, I'm, I don't really, and I've done a lot of work with bitmaps, I've never heard, never of, a heard stride, of a
0: stride,
1: but uh, apparently that's important. And then an offset, which is the byte offset into the memory stream where the image
0: starts. Interesting. Isn't that cool. I'm just looking up the term stride because I couldn't help myself.
1: Well, yeah. Now we got to go there because yeah, there's no. We, no have to, we have to look
0: at because we know all the other factors here. So and there's no stride for refers a... to the number of bytes allocated for one scan line of the bitmap. So there ah, you go.
1: Ah, okay.
0: So that's dealing with the bit depth yeah. as well as the width of the image.
1: Yes, but there it's more that's for the, the bit depth. Uh, it because the because Im- so that could be calculated. So if it's a eight bit bitmap, that means every byte is a pixel. It's yeah. a 24-bit bitmap. It's three bytes per pixel. Right. Oh, my God. I'm having flashbacks
0: to <laughs> I've got chills. Oh. I just can't believe you said pointer
1: in the context of .NET. And palettes and realizing palettes and God. Don't you talk to me about your device context. I, <laughs> I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> oh, thank God for .NET. That's all there I you have to go. say. There you go.
0: Well, Richard, uh, who's talking to us today? I got uh, Philip Kracheville on the line here, emaily speaking, uh, and still doing the HTML5 versus Civil Light debate, which is not a bad thing. Hello, Carl and Richard, I've just finished listening to show 602 with Steve Evans, but it's really the last 10 minute discussion on the future of Silverlight that really grabbed my attention. As Carl said, mobile devices are the next platform, and so it is quite important for me as a developer to pick up a platform that will be supported by the majority of these devices. Only a couple of days ago, when WinPhone 7 was released, I spoke with a number of people in regards to the direction we should be taking when developing for mobile devices. I've been to presentations covering the pros and cons of development for iPhone, Android, and Windows Phone 7, and certainly the combination of HTML5 with CSS and JavaScript keeps coming up. A comment by Carl about why VBScript did not make it for not being supported by Netscape really drove it home for me again. I believe it will be much easier to get HTML5 support on WinPhone 7 than getting Silverlight support on the iPhone, Android, and Palm. Mm. Out of all the major players, it's only WinPhone 7 that currently does not support HTML5. Hopefully, that will change soon. Hopefully. And regards, Philip from Melbourne, Australia. Well, I'm pretty confident the next version of WinPhone 7, like the the update that's coming in the immediate future, will have support for HTML5. That's inevitable. The question is, is an HTML5 app going to be sufficient on the phone? Mm. And to date, the market says no that's why we have apps Mm -hmm. we keep going back to apps that app building is the way to go you've got to utilize the platform so the mac mac has
1: an app store for mac apps now Yes, this is the way i think we're going to
0: see more and more app stores people want app stores yes and they want applications that take advantage of a platform and if we try and build stuff neutrally in html to work across all platforms then we're always the weaker cousin Mm -hmm. and eventually somebody will come along with a quote-unquote real app that will beat out our product every time right so that's my opinion i don't know if you necessarily agree with me carl you usually do because i'm so smart that's this is true (laughs) but philip thank you for your great email we're shipping a a mug down to australia and if you have questions concerns ideas or want to disagree with us or agree with us, send us an email, dotnetrocks at net.
1: With us today on the line, as mentioned before, is the CTO of the .NET Nuke Corporation and uh, all-around good guy, Sean Walker. Hi, Sean.
2: Hi, guys. Wow, that's a, a very nice introduction.
1: Well, you got it.
2: All-around great guy. All-around all great, great guy, it's true.
1: That covers just a host of sins right there.
2: I'm still trying to recover from the whole workout song at the beginning here, but...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you like the drums, yeah? It's
2: the... It was very good. Actually, I mean, like the rest of us who spend a lot of time on airplanes in front of their computer, I'm going to have to listen to a lot more .NET Rocked episodes in the new year. That's going to be my resolution.
0: Oh, good. The Kindle has been my focus on airplanes these days. I'm consuming vast numbers of books because of the Kindle.
1: Yeah. I, uh... I used to have an iPad that I used to use on flights.
0: Where'd it go, Carl? Where'd it go? (laughs) I'm not talking about it. I, I, I will flatly admit I left my Kindle 2 on the plane. You did? And now I have a Kindle 3. Yeah.
1: I'm not so sure if I want another iPad. Interesting. Well, here's a tip. If you accidentally leave a nice device like that on a plane, don't tell the stewardess. But he did. Yeah, don't even go to the airport. What uh, people and report it there at the airport. Just and don't tell them. Just get the phone number to call. The, you know the eight hundred number and report it stolen. Don't tell anybody because it's uh, what happened was that's exactly what happened. And then by the time I called, somebody had already claimed it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's not fair. It is. It is not fair.
0: I'm still hopeful my Kindle 2 will show up. So, what have you left on an airplane, Sean? <laughs> uh, n-
2: nothing that valuable. <laughs> Just magazines and you know things that I'm I can afford to part with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, anyway, we're here to talk about the latest in .NET newcarision .NET Nukery.
2: Yes, it's been a while. I think the last time I spoke to you guys uh, on the .NET Rock show about .NET Nuke was in 2007. So, Wow. Uh, three years ago, a lot has happened in three years.
0: Yeah, that was about the time that the whole enterprise side was just starting out.
2: Yeah, I think that the last time uh, we worked together was we had a session, a panel session at Dev Connections in Las Vegas uh, at Mandalay Bay. Right where uh, you guys helped co-host a, a panel where, in front of, a, I guess, an audience of community members, which uh, went over quite well, but this was obviously prior to us get, getting funding or, or really getting serious in the, in a commercial way with the company.
1: And uh, just an editor's note here that um, we changed phones with Sean right here in the show just because we were having some problems with the, the VoIP, and uh, he's now on a cell phone. So that panel discussion uh, turned out to be a good thing.
2: Uh, yeah, I think, uh, well, the early DevConnections conference that we had, I think we had almost 250 attendees at that very first, uh, .NET Nuke focused, um, track within the DevConnections conference, which demonstrated that there were quite a number of businesses out there that were utilizing .NET Nuke and uh, were willing to actually spend money, um, right. you know, in the ecosystem, which was important for us to recognize, uh, because up until that point, I mean, it was an open source project and we only had a free edition. And, uh, I mean, we really needed to, to justify, you know, whether or not, uh, there was a large enough business opportunity to be had.
0: So three years later, you're still going on. I guess something worked.
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've had a lot, a lot of changes over that time. But, um, even in 2007, uh, we were actively, um, trying to put together a business model which would help justify the, uh, you know, the amount of effort that was being put into the open source project. Um, At that point, the company was very small, I believe there was only about six of us that were full-time employed on the project, Um, and we were behind the scenes trying to figure out a model that would work uh, to get the the company funded. Um, The early stages of fundraising were frustrating. Uh, We had great traction in the open source community, lots of downloads, lots of people using the product, but uh, when you talk to investors, the most important thing to them was whether or not people were paying money for the solution. And at that point it was difficult to come up with any evidence although you knew that there were plenty of uh, system integrators out there that were um, you know delivering dot nuke as part of their overall solution in terms of creating websites or web applications uh, and there were you know many vendors that were also creating extensions for the platform um, but still i mean that wasn't quite enough it wasn't until uh, late 2008, that we were successful in getting a couple of term sheets from a, a couple of different VCs from uh, Silicon Valley. Um, ultimately, we decided to go with August Capital, and, and then they syndicated with uh, Sierra Ventures, uh, both of which are sort of top-tier uh, venture capitalists from Silicon Valley. And so that gave us the capital we needed to build a more serious company and, and start to scale the business.
1: So how does the business make money if it, the product is free?
2: Yeah, so the first thing that we did after getting funding was we sort of formalized our business model. And so in February 2009, we released the professional edition, which was the, uh, the .anuk product, um, along with support. So in, th- in that early stage, all we did was add a support offering around the, um, the open source edition of the product and we offered that under an annual subscription model and there was um, you know plenty of companies out there that were actually looking for a more serious type of uh, you know professional support behind the product mm. and so that got us going and then as we moved forward we recognized that we also needed to uh, add some differentiation between the two products so uh, some features were reserved for the professional edition product at, whereas others would end up in the uh, the community edition product. So essentially we had two products at that point. Okay. Uh the other thing that happened is in 2009 um when we you talked about app stores earlier um, and so dotnet has you know for a long time has had a, an active app uh, marketplace. Um that site is called snowcover.com. Right. I think there's about eight hundred different vendors that sell. I think there's about eight thousand different extensions for the dot new platform today. Um that was started by an individual uh, from Tennessee and uh in two thousand and nine we were able to acquire snowcover.com. So uh, being able to add that to our um you know sort of repertoire as a business was really important because it allowed us to um also leverage the channel in addition to the product itself. And it opens up a lot of opportunities for us to provide better integration between the product and the marketplace, much like has happened with the uh, the iPhone and App Store and Android and the Android Marketplace. So, I mean, that's that's where we're going with those two assets in the uh, in 2011. And then uh, I guess going forward from there, um, in uh, January 2010, so very early this year, uh, we were successful in raising a second round of funding. Uh, That was from Uh, a a, a venture capitalist firm called UVP, which um, has now changed its name to Pellion Venture Partners, and they are out of Utah. Um, We weren't actually actively fundraising at the time. Uh, It was a referral that was made from one of our Series A investors, and it's generally better to raise money when you're not actively looking for it than being on the other side of that coin. So It worked out well for us, gave us much-needed capital, to give us a longer runway. Um, and by the end of this year, so basically now uh, we have now fifty full-time employees in the company. Um, it's grown quite dramatically. And uh, late earlier this year we also introduced another product edition called the Enterprise Edition, uh, which has some additional features which aren't a, which aren't available in our uh, professional edition. So lots of changes. But, it, but even amongst all those changes in terms of getting, you know, more commercialization into the project, um, we still offer the community edition which is the free open source product. And we believe probably, you know, 90%, or sorry, 98% of the installations of our product are still done on the community edition
1: product. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you about JustMock, Telerik's mocking tool. And unlike most mocking tools, JustMock can work with non-virtual methods, sealed classes, and static methods and classes, giving you complete control over your code. And of course, you get that great Telerik quality and support. You can read more and download the tool at Telerik.com slash JustMock. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik.
0: What are the differences between community and professional editions?
2: Uh, so the Professional Edition, as I mentioned, has support um, from New Corp. so we offer unlimited technical support uh, for the product. Um, and then we also include some additional features uh, which are more applicable to uh, more serious business environments. Uh, for example, if you're trying to run a web farm, um, you, w- you would use our web farm uh, caching provider, which is available in our Professional Edition. Or if you have, you know, more... Advanced needs around security, we have a more granular permissions provider, which you can plug in in the professional edition, which gives you uh, permissions beyond just typical edit and view rights. We can go into add, edit, delete, you know, the more granular types of permissions. Uh, We have advanced analytics support in the software. Um, We've got health monitoring and uh, sort of vulnerability management capabilities in the software. Just a lot of the services um, and features that you would expect in a more uh, Mission critical environment are available in the professional edition product.
1: So, what's um, th- you know, for those of who don't know what nuke is, um, we should probably just say that it's a free, uh, open source, um, toolkit really for building a website with lots of pluggable modules, uh, really for building portal sites. Wouldn't you say, Sean?
2: Yeah. It's, well, it's kind of interesting. Um, so. I mean in the early stages of the project we marketed it more as a, a web application framework mm-hmm. meaning it's something that you would build on top of, but there's many, many people that are just utilizing the software to put up um, public facing websites. So in more recent years, in the last couple of years, we've focused more on promoting ourselves as a as a web content management platform. So we share some characteristics with some other web content management platforms such as uh, Joomla or Drupal or perhaps even WordPress all of which have this extensions model where you can easily plug in additional functionality uh, at runtime um and th- that technology we call modules but I mean mm-hmm. it's it's common across a number of different web content management platforms today
1: Okay so the um, it's been a long, long time since we talked about the features. What are the in the latest version of .NET Nuke? We, I think you mentioned a couple of of good, really good features that we haven't talked about. Maybe let's jump into some of those and and uh, see if we can uh, entice our listeners into giving it a try.
2: Okay. Yeah. So in in 2010, uh, with the you know the greater resources that we had available to us, we tackled a couple of major features which had been on the roadmap for a long time, but we hadn't been able to uh, to tackle in the past. One of those features was content localization, which is effectively the ability to maintain a website in multiple languages, um, which is a fairly sophisticated um, operation in terms of, um, you know, you you typically would maintain a website in one primary language, and then you would translate that same content into whatever other languages you would like to support in the, in the business market. So we had to modify our framework quite substantially to support content localization. Uh, for a long time, we had we had supported what's called software localization, which is essentially the ability to translate all of the different labels and messages in the software so that a content editor can interact with the software in their native language. But the feature we added this past year was was more around uh, maintaining content and keeping it synchronized and keeping it up to date across all of the different languages that you might want to support in your site.
0: So, when right. a customer has a website and they actually want to produce an English website and a German website and a and a Swedish website, all the same site just in different languages, you've got infrastructure to manage that for us.
2: Yeah, and so yeah, and that was a pretty sophisticated feature to introduce. Um, really, had some fairly deep impacts on our architecture. So. That's something we tackled this year.
1: I imagine that, you know, that's a a fairly simple thing to do in ASP.NET, but what's not simple is when you have a package like .NET Nuke or some other web content management system, if that feature isn't built in, you're out of luck because you don't have control over, you know, all of the source to all the controls and every little piece of text that the site is using.
2: Yeah, so what people had to do in the past was they would have to put up there two different websites, uh, pro- probably using .NET Nuke, uh, one for you know say the primary language and one for the secondary language, and then right. they would have to manually synchronize the content changes across them, which is yeah. pretty tedious.
1: Sort of makes the whole idea of having a web content management system a little more silly. But you know yeah. the
0: interesting part of this is the fact that that feature never got built during the open source times of .NET Nuke
2: yeah so that's that is a good point Richard in that um you know initially when we got funding, there was some hesitation on the part of the community uh you know some fear that the project was going to become highly commercialized and that it was gonna lose some of its open source community um and lose some of the culture that it had been built up on, and really that hasn't happened um. The reality is what's happened is the the funding has allowed a greater number of full-time resources to focus on building out the product, and a lot of the value that is created is included into the community edition today. So some of these large features like content localization were almost too large to even contemplate in the the model where there was only a very small number of full-time resources working on the open source project and that's why it took so long for some of these to materialize and I, I don't know if they would have ever materialized if it wasn't for the fact that we we grew the uh, the company behind it and actually got some funding to allow us to to do so.
0: Yeah, and I think this is an interesting side effect. I've run into this before with other projects. Uh I did a fair bit with the the Postgres database, which is an open source Linux oriented database. And somebody was asking about me about it. And I said, you know, the side of it of being open source was we've got some of the coolest user-defined function features you've ever seen. I'm able to pass a table as a parameter into a query, mm. and we all these derivative executions. Slicker than SQL Server, but I can't do incremental backup. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. when you have an open source project, you get sexy features. And you get hip features for the time, but you rarely get these deep infrastructure features that shake everything up and are ultimately critical to a project.
2: Yeah, you're right. So a lot of uh, developers who want to volunteer their time really want to do so for selfish reasons, right? They're looking to scratch their own itch. And so they want to implement features that are interesting to them, which might not necessarily be features that you know, are broadly applicable to your customer base.
0: So, yeah, I think you cited a really interesting example of I needed more resources, I had to think deeper, but also that it's the strategic side of the leading the direction of the product as opposed to doing what solves the problem at the time.
2: Right. Yeah, so yeah, it's definitely been nice to have some some additional resources to tackle some of this, like infrastructure, like you called it, which had been somewhat neglected, you know, for a period of time um, when we were more primarily relying on uh, volunteer developers. The other major feature we added this past year, which is the main feature, I guess, that's in our Enterprise Edition today, is support for content staging. This is for environments where, you know, your production web server is, is more locked down um, and you would do all of your content management on your staging server, and then once those those changes are ready, you can deploy them to your production server. But typically, you wouldn't provide direct, you know, uh, content editing access to the production server at all. So that required a, a fair bit of um, you know custom development to put together a solution around that, uh, and that's available in our enterprise edition products.
0: And it's something that John McIntyre via Twitter just sent me was ex- almost exactly that question, which is you know, .NET Nuke supporting this idea in general of staging development, that I want to work on a new version of the site, I want to run it in my pre-production pre-produ- environment before I actually update the production website.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, it was a fairly sophisticated feature to create, and, uh, and so, I mean, it has value for more large um, and sophisticated business environments. Right. So that's why we reserved that functionality for the Enterprise Edition.
0: Because up until now, when you wanted to update a a .NET Nuke site, you just updated the site.
2: Uh, It was very, you know, real-time. You're usually interacting with the content directly on your production website, which, you know, isn't a model which works for all organizations. Although, there's definitely more and more organizations which are becoming comfortable with that model because, you know, they may want to run forums or have blogs and blogs that allow for comments. So they're getting more um, flexible in terms of allowing, uh, you know, end users and visitors to interact on their production website.
0: So more of the, yeah, the blog model, comment model where you could, but I guess the question is, can I control what appears on my website before it appears? So do I have a comment verification system or a blog post verification, more of that yeah. workflow side of CMS.
2: Yeah, so typically you, you do have some kind of workflow or some kind of moderation uh, built into the software. The, the staging solution that we built is is more related to uh, internal employees who are creating you know marketing-related content uh, and then having some type of a review process where that content can be reviewed and then once it's deemed to be okay that it can be published um to to visitors of your site
0: did we actually talk about the price of the product how much is the pro- professional edition
2: uh yeah so the uh the professional edition product is available for $2500 um on an annual subscription basis so and, and the uh, the enterprise product is available for 4999 um Again on an annual subscription
0: and what do I get for my money
2: um well, you get unlimited technical support for the the products and you also get the uh the differentiated features which are available in those commercial editions of the product
0: and and i mean i I have to pay this annually so if I don't pay, my site goes away
2: um well so there is yeah there is a um a nag message which is displayed um if you you know don't uh, renew your license um and there also is a ways that you can downgrade your product to the the community edition if Oh really? That's the way you want to go. Yeah, we, we, there's not an automated way to do that today but I mean there is ways that you can um eliminate I guess the professional edition features and move back to a community edition product.
0: And I presume there's a way to upgrade as well.
2: Correct. Yeah.
1: At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4, or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.Net rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at Carl at franklins.net.
0: It's an interesting idea that I might start off on a community edition, get to a point where I realize I need a pro edition, move up, and then perhaps my site never makes the money, I thought, or loses popularity and stuff and be able to move back down.
2: Yeah, so we do try to provide some flexibility uh, for customers because you really never know what's going to happen. So.
0: Well, and I don't think a good outcome from your perspective is anybody moving off of .NET Nuke is a consequence.
2: Right, yeah, so it would be much better to retain people as users of our platform um, rather than, you know, going to some competing solution. So the other part of this is that even the, uh, the community edition users, which make up probably, you know, like I said, 98% of our installations, are still utilizing the snow-covered marketplace to acquire additional extensions, which is another part of our business model. That uh, we, we run that marketplace and um, vendors who um, list their products there and use us as an e-commerce gateway um, also you know, obviously pay a commission to that of course, for us providing that service.
0: And it, I guess that, that's my next question, which is how is the open source edition doing from a developer's perspective since the commercial edition came along? Are you still seeing many check-ins and improvements on the open source edition? Um,
2: well so for a long time well um, and open source projects are managed in many different ways there's sort of not one way to do open source but um so there's some projects out there that are much more sort of chaotic in that they allow many many committers to commit code to the code base in sort of real time um, and, and which means that on one side you know innovation can get to market very quickly but on the yeah. other side you know the stability of the overall product is Sometimes questionable, uh, because it's not being subjected to the level of QA that you get in a proprietary, uh, software product. That's not really the model that we've, um, adhered to ever over the lifetime of the project. Um, typically we've had a, a, you know, a smaller set of trusted resources that, um, would review contributions and determine whether or not, you know, there's, they exemplify our security standards, performance standards, you know, uh, whether or not they're in line with the vision of the product, uh, and only then would they actually get committed. And and that allows us to actually keep a fairly traditional software development cycle going and, and actually hit release dates and also provide uh, the level of QA that you'd expect from a commercial product. So community members are still free to contribute patches, and they do, um, but they don't go into the product in a real-time basis.
0: Okay. And I mean yes the other side of this is have there been many updates to the open source product while the enterprise and professional editions have been progressing.
2: Right so yeah absolutely there the model is actually uh, so the the core platform itself forms the core of even our commercial editions. So the idea is that our core platform contains all of the public APIs which you know third party module developers can take advantage of. So any feature that we built in the professional edition typically is taking advantage of some endpoint or some you know extensibility point, which is available in the core. And that core is part of the free open source platform. Um, so there's been a lot of innovation uh, in the last couple of years around the core itself.
1: How many uh, times a week do you get requests to have uh, .NET Nuke converted to an MVVM application? I, n- I mean, an an MVC application?
2: Actually, we don't get that request at all. Really? Um, yeah, because typically, I guess, a business user um, really doesn't care right. what the, uh, the, the application is developed using, whether it's web forms or MVC. Um, it, in their case, they just want to make sure that it can satisfy their business needs.
1: Yeah, I guess that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, the whole MVC versus Web Forms debate. I mean, when MVC um, was released by Microsoft, it obviously created some controversy in that it was incompatible with the Web Forms model. Um, There was really no way that we could migrate .NET Nuke to MVC without basically doing a reset on our community, because all of the you know thousands of extensions that are available for the .NET Nuke platform today are built on the Web Forms architecture. So if we decided to change the core to MVC, it means that all of those thousands of extensions would have to be modified as well, and that would be coordinating all of the vendor community around that and be a major disruption to their business, to our business. It really wouldn't make any business sense to do that. And and at the end of the day, you'd then have an MVC application, and, you know, why? I mean, what would be the benefit that you would get by being an MVC application? So, I mean, it was pretty much a an easy decision for us to just stay with web forms, which is sort of a tried and true right. technology at this point and continue to um, to support all of the extensions
0: that exist for our platform today. Well, that makes sense. And I'm staggered. I'm looking around Snow Covered here at the number of extensions that are here.
1: Yeah, that was another thing that I wanted to, another place I wanted to go with this interview is talk about some of the stuff that's up there on Snow Covered, some of the free tools and some of the pay tools and, I mean the list just keeps growing and growing and growing. And I know it's unfair to ask you which ones you like because you know you want to you don't want to uh alienate any of your customers but there are yeah. some there are some really cool things up there.
2: Yeah, I mean typically I mean we've just like any online marketplace you can look at the the top sellers and typically those represent some of the better products across mm. a number of different categories. Um and that's something that's interesting is there for each for any category that you're looking at in terms of extending net nuke whether you want discussion forums or you want a shopping cart or whatever, usually mm. there's more than one solution that's available right so yeah so typically the extensions that are available are quite affordable, and I mean that's obviously a benefit for customers that are utilizing the net nuke solution
1: how many Products are there. I mean, I'm looking. I'm. I guess I'm doing the math in my head. That because you do have the number of products, but it's per category. Just in .NET yeah. Nuke Four alone, I'm doing some quick math. There's probably close to, I don't know what, seven, eight thousand products just in .NET Nuke Four.
2: Yeah, we estimate that there's around eight thousand extensions to the platform that are available. And that, yeah, that's across different categories and across different versions. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Jeez. That's staggering. I mean, uh, and these are, uh, the ones on Snow Cover, these are only retail, they're not free?
2: Right. So, Snow Covered only caters to um, commercial extensions. Wow. And then we also have um, a site called The Forge, which is actually on .NET com, which has uh, I think a couple hundred free uh, extensions to the platform as well. Um, that's one thing that's different about .NET Nuke uh, when you compare it to some of the other content management platforms that are out there. For example, like uh, Drupal or Joomla, uh, those platforms have a lot of extensions as well, but typically most of them are free, which means that they're, you know, you can't get support, or, and you don't really have any assurance about upgrades or so how, the longevity of, you know, any of those extensions, are they going to be around in subsequent years? Mm. Um, what, what is the vendor going to do if there was a security problem in them? Um, all of those things that you get when you actually pay for a product. So, I mean, having this very active commercial ecosystem around .NET has really been helpful for the platform in general. Then, I mean, if we, uh, if we look towards, like, 2011, We've been doing our functional planning for the end of the year in terms of figuring out, you know, what, what we're going to focus on for 2011. But, I mean, there's sort of three areas that seem to be dominating um, content management in the last couple of years. One of those is obviously cloud. Um, so, I mean, the fact that we're a web application and we need web infrastructure to run on makes the cloud very interesting for us.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we already run on Amazon EC2 without any issue. So we've been... Um, we work on what it would take to run on Windows Azure. And we actually ha- have a model now that will work on Windows Azure. Um, although, I mean, with some of the recent announcements in Windows Azure, uh, such as around uh, the VM role, that'll mm-hmm. also be something that we'll have to explore once it becomes available to the general public.
0: Yeah, of course, EC2 is essentially just a VM approach as well. But you actually worked out a way to make .NET Nuke work in the worker role?
2: Yeah, that's right. So yeah, we weren't effective in getting ourselves running in the web role, but yeah, we are able to run in the worker role um, with with a few tweaks, and uh, we're going to be publishing some of that information um, in early twenty eleven. The other areas that we're focusing on are around mobile. So uh, a lot of websites today want to have at least a, a good experience for mobile browsers. We talked a little bit about, you know, you were talking earlier um, in regards to that email um, about mobile support, whether HTML5 or Silverlight or, you know, whether you're right. building apps. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a couple different models there. Um, some people are are happy utilizing mobile browsers to visit a website. And a lot of websites now are providing an optimized experience through the, the mobile browser for web content.
0: Although Optimize seems like a stretch. It's more like dumbed down. Yeah,
2: yeah it is usually dumbed down. Um, like, for example, I'm obviously a hockey fan, so when I go to the NHL.com site uh, in my iPhone, I get you know a much different experience than I would through a web browser on my laptop. Right. Um, but I, it's, it's still a pretty functional experience. I can still get access to most of the content that I care about through my iPhone. Um but then there's obviously the ability to uh, perhaps build a service layer on top of .NET Nuke so that people could build native apps. And I think that, you know, obviously that's a, an emerging market, which is interesting, especially with the, you know, the uh, the Windows Phone Seven. We have quite a few developers in our office that jumped on those immediately as soon as they were available. So I'm pretty sure that um, we'll have a solution around mobile in 2011 as well. Cool.
0: Of course, you're hinting in at in another part of this, which is HTML5 in .NET Nuke in general.
2: Yeah, we haven't done a lot of analysis yet of HTML5. Um, it, I know that there's a lot of promise around HTML5, but I think it's still a little ahead of the curve of where most of our customers are today. Right. Um,
0: this so is only going to matter when the browsers start to ship and people are using them and expecting more. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be an interesting space to be in in terms of web content management. Um, once HTML5 hits the scene, I think it's, you know, it's definitely going to be a game changer and we're going to have to be able to adapt to, uh, you know, the changing needs of customers at that point.
0: But I, I, I guess the number that's going to matter is watching the browser counts and seeing which new browsers are being accepted and, and you can start get a sense of what features can work.
2: Yeah, cuz I mean there's so many sites on the internet to not I mean it's going to be a fraction a sliver that are going to be jumping on HTML5 initially. Sure. Um so it'll take some time before that starts to to grab hold of the market.
0: Which came first, the browser or the web server? That
2: <laughs> <laughs> It's a chicken and egg thing, isn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah. No, but I, and I appreciate the cloud story. General, aren't there already ISPs out there that offer .NET Nuke effectively in the cloud? You can just buy the service.
2: Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, there are some hosting prov- Actually, there's quite a number of hosting providers that have sort of one-click installation support for .NET Nuke. Right. Um, ever since I think 2005, when Microsoft put a lot of effort around the web hosting community, and and at that time they were pushing a couple of applications, one of which was .NET Nuke. Um we've had pretty good support from the web hosting community. So there's a number of hosts that specialize in it. You can go to their site, you can sign up, and you can basically get Nuke installed as part of the setup. And you basically have a, you know, a content management system that you can utilize immediately. We're also thinking of introducing such a service as this for our commercial editions of our product uh, in 2011 as well. Just to reduce the barrier to entry. If somebody wants to use a commercial edition of .NET Nuke, they can get up and running immediately, uh, as well.
1: So the website is Nuke dot com, and the marketplace is SnowCovered.com. And there was another place, uh, another website you mentioned that had some free tools. What was that?
2: Oh no, so that's on our nuke dot com site. That's the Forge, which is a you know an area on our nuke dot com site.
0: Okay. All right. The extensions Forge.
1: Yeah. Yep. So um, any last-minute uh, things you want to throw in there before we sign off?
2: Um, no, I just uh, hope you guys have a great holiday season and look forward to 2011. It's going to be an exciting year. Me too.
1: And we wish you lots of luck in the future.
2: All right. Thank you.
1: All right, Sean. And we'll talk to you later, and we'll talk to you later next time on .Net Rock.